We're going to be in the book of Exodus. We're going to be finishing up chapter uh, number 18. Chapter number 18. We're in our series, which is called The Great Escape, which is our walk through the book of Exodus. Last week in our message titled Rejoice in the Lord, we witnessed a family reunion as Moses' wife, son, and father-in-law Jethro joined the Israelites in camp near the base of Mount, of Mount of God. After the initial meeting, the conversation between Moses and Jethro quickly shifted to celebrating God for his goodness and praising him for his provision. We discussed last week how this very attitude of thanksgiving and reverence uh, reverence and humility should be on display in our lives as we walk with God every day. This week, we're going to see Jethro's influence yet again as he will advise his son-in-law in our message today, which is titled Wise Counsel. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today and this opportunity, God, to bring your word. Uh, Lord, I know and you know that I have prayed, Father, for you to speak to me, and I am asking you, Lord, now to speak through me, that the words that I share will be the very ones that you will give me. Help the human element to be removed from this message and let the Spirit of God work mightily in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Exodus 18, verse number 13. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning until the evening. Okay? And just a quick thing. We're going to pay attention to that word where it talks about the fact that Moses is sitting. Okay? We see time and again there's many references of this seated meaning authority and judgment. Mark 13, 3, it says this, And as he, talking about Jesus, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. They came to him privately to speak to him. Mark 14, 62. And Jesus said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Revelation 7.10 says this, And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So we see this consistent example of the seated being a judgment, a picture of judgment and authority. And we look at the commitment level on both sides, realistically. Look at this, because it says that Moses is willing to sit all day and all into the evening, and the people are willing to stand, right? Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. Moses is willing to do, to do to, to his commitment was there no matter what the investment of his personal time was, he was willing to do what was required. He displays his commitment and compassion for the people as he stands there uh, will, willing to listen to and, and to deal with their issues. The people's desire to hear from God was so great that they were willing to stand in line all day long. It was their commitment, right? Moses' commitment is the fact that he, if there's a need, his desire is to meet it, okay? He's going to look, if there's a need, I want to be there. And that needs to be the mindset of every pastor, right? That has to be the heart of a pastor, right? If it's not, there's a problem. We call it being a servant leader, okay, a servant leader. I'm going to give you Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, talking about the kings and the rulers of the land, and they are great, and they, they are great, exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister." And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The example of what it means to be a servant we see in Jesus Christ and his service to our world. Pastors should be serving the church, not the opposite. Many places in our country, many places around the world, pastors are treated like they're some kind of king, and everyone comes along and worships this man, and that's not what the design is. God's design is that that man was placed in the church to serve the body. His job is to be there for them. And this is why availability and access is so important, right? 
The whole thing is, you know, if, if a pastor does not know the people of the church and he's not involved in their lives, it's really, really hard for him to do what he's called to do. Because how can you pastor, how can you shepherd, how can you help people that you don't really know? So many folks, unfortunately, because churches have gotten so large now, the pastors are completely estranged from the congregation. When you've got your small group and your small group leader, well, the small group leader is not called the pastor of the church, but why is he fulfilling that role in those people's lives? God designed the church that the pastor should work with those people and truly know what their concerns are. And the desire, his desire of his heart must be to be there. And I'm telling you right now, if there is a need in your life and it is within my power to be there for you, I will be there. I will do whatever I possibly can to meet that need. Now, will I disappoint you? Guaranteed. Go ahead and mark that one down. <laughs> I guarantee I'm going to disappoint you. And I guarantee there's going to be times you're like, man, pastor should be here and I won't show up. And you're going to be like, give me a break. I'm a person. I'm just going to mess up. That's just good and give me a little bit of grace. Um, this is also why preparation is so important in regards to teaching, okay? Because the whole thing is, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, study to show thyself approved unto God, okay? Meaning I can be disapproved of God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, it warns me not to be ashamed, meaning that I can't be ashamed, so I need to be making sure I'm careful, rightly dividing the word of truth. So it's saying, look, you need to understand what it is you're teaching, and you need to come fully prepared, understanding that you're giving what God has given you, not what you've decided to give. And that's another issue, the fact that if somebody comes in and if they go to the pulpit and they use the pulpit as their own personal stomping ground or their own personal soapbox, that is absolutely incorrect and it is ungodly. Our desire for, as a pastor, what our job should be is to take the word of God and discern and give what God gives us to give to the people. And so there's a lot of problems with humanity getting involved in this role when it should be God-driven, not man-driven. That's a soapbox of my own. We'll just get into that later. Um, but the whole thing is it's a matter of properly applying the word of God. Okay? Now, one thing to think about, the fact that life is... It's throwing stuff at all of us, right? We're all getting hit from different directions. We're all dealing with different things, right? And as these things take place, understand that God understands the need. I don't know everything that's going on in your life. I have absolutely no idea. There's things happening in your life that I'll have absolutely no clue about, but God does. And that's why it's amazing when sometimes you'll sit down and hear a message, and you'll be like, that was written for me. How did he know, right? I've been in those messages. I'm like, dude, what in the world? Is somebody checking my mail? What is going on? That is like right on the money. It's amazing because, see, God knows. And if that man is letting God use him, God will direct the message. It's not coming from him. It's coming from the Lord. Okay? So and, and another, just a side note for those of us that are going to counsel people. As God develops you in your walk with God, if you're discipling, if you're working with people, that's a responsibility. Now, understand, if you're going to counsel somebody, even ministerially or otherwise, you need to understand that for us, we're not the answer. You are not the answer. You will never be the answer. If you carry the load like it's on you, it will crush you, right? So will you bring in your concerns and stuff like that? Hey, man, do I care? Absolutely. Am I heartbroken for you if you're going through something? Absolutely. Do I bear the load with you? Yes. But I know that I'm not the answer. My job is to be a conduit to point you to the answer, which is God. Your job as a counselor, someone comes to you for advice, don't give them human advice. Give them biblical advice. Point them to the answer that will fix the problem. You can maybe put a Band-Aid on it, but God can heal it. Anyway, another soapbox. I just got them all over the place. Here we go. <clears throat> Amen. But grounding people into dependence upon God has got to be the key. Okay? That's the whole focus of what we do, why we do what we do. If someone comes to you for advice, ground them in him. Ground them in him. Point them to the Bible. Point them to the deity of Christ, the spirit of God, and the word of God. Because that's the one thing that will never let them down. Because just like me, you're going to let them down one day, and they're going to hold you. Oh, man, I can't believe you didn't, weren't there for me. But the good news is God will always be there. Point them to the answer.
Okay, so just look at Moses' level of commitment, even though this task must have seemed insurmountable. Imagine, okay, he talks about this is a morning to evening thing, and we're talking about there's a couple million people, and Moses is sitting down at whatever he's sitting on, and he's looking out. Can you imagine the line of people out into the desert, and you're sitting there by yourself, and they're all like, everybody's got a grievance, everybody's got a concern, and they're all bringing them to you, right? How many of us get overwhelmed with one person's problems? You know what I'm saying? Somebody just comes and unloads, and you're like, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'll pray for you. You don't know what to say, right? Imagine countless people lining up again and again and again. Grievances that are such a big, God bless you, grievances that are so big that they're willing to stand in the heat of the day all day long to get their address, their issue addressed. The good news is that they are seeking godly counsel. They're not dealing with it amongst themselves, which is a good thing, right? But we see his level of commitment here. He's a leader who cares about them. This would take a physical, spiritual, and emotional toll on him. But he says, look, I don't care. My goal is to be there for them and be used of God to do something great. He's all in in this situation. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the, to the people. He said, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone and all the people stand by thee from morning into evening? So as an outsider looking in, Jethro goes, man, this doesn't seem to be the, the best system. He looked at the weight that's resting upon his son-in-law. He cares for Moses. This is his daughter's husband. And the questions that he asks are not so much questions that he wants answers to. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get Moses to rethink his strategy a little bit. He's going, is this the best Avenue, right? Businesses do this, right? They hire outside consultants to come in and look at their systems, right? They function a certain way. You know, we've just done it this way. We always do it this way. And they do it this way. And all of a sudden, they bring in a consultant who goes, you know what? Wow. We can move this over here and do this and do this and make it so much more efficient, right? You ever watch somebody do something and you're like, what in the world? Why are they going back and forth six times when they can just put all that stuff over there? right? But when you're in the midst of the situation, you've always done it that way. You just always do it that way, right? And that's what Moses is going, look, I don't know anything different. All I know is they all have a concern, and I'm here, so guess what? I'm going to do it, no matter how overwhelming it may seem. Imagine listening to all those issues and problems. It's got to be overwhelming to him. But this aspect of, of, of recognizing in this unreasonable and inefficient system is where Jethro is going to come in. Moses' commitment, le commitment level appears to be beyond what his physical well-being can actually do. And we saw an example of that. Remember with Aaron and her, when he was up on the mountaintop and he was praying in the battle of Amalek. He had the desire in his heart to stand and pray for the entire battle. But it reached a point in time where his arms were just so heavy that he couldn't hold them up and he needed someone to help him. So sometimes in our mind, we can do things that maybe our bodies can't follow through with. We know in Matthew 26, 41, it talked about the fact that the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we all can attest there's been times that we want to do things that maybe we have a hard time. Now, there's, there's things we want to do, good things, right? Good things. And sometimes we want to do it, but there's something in our life potentially that's going to be an encumbrance to us. It's going to stop us. Or maybe we just need some help in doing it, okay? So uh, the whole goal is that we find ways to accomplish things instead of trying to talk ourselves, because there's a caveat to this, right? You can look at something and go, you know what? It's not reasonable. And then you can think of all the reasons why you shouldn't do it. And you can sell yourself on the reason why you don't do it. And by the end of it, you're just like, yeah, I ain't going to do it at all. But if God's calling you to do it, sometimes even if you're afraid of it, that's the thing. If you're afraid of something and you do it anyway, what it does is it builds your faith. You start to realize, you know what, I may be afraid of this. You know what, I, I don't know that I can work with kids. Kids kind of scare me. But you know what, I think I'm going to volunteer in children's church. I, I, I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to work it and go in there and work with them. And in the beginning, you might be in there just going, oh, don't ask me to do anything. But what's cool, if you go in there and you embrace it and God uses you, it's the most fulfilling thing in the world. 
for you to go from something that you used to be afraid of doing, and then God empowers you to do it and actually become successful in representing him to the world. Remember Deuteronomy 31.8 says this, And the Lord, he it, is, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fall thee, fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. The key is, if we remember that God's the one that's doing it, we need not to be afraid. God wants to use us as a conduit for his glory. Moses explains himself to, to uh, Jethro in this verse number 15. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. He says, look, I, I don't know what else to do. From my perspective, I've got a need here. I want to need it. I want to meet the need. And it's all I know how to do. Sometimes we may feel that, uh, that there's things that we want to do, right? But our desires maybe exceed what we can potentially pull off on our own. Moses is driven by the needs of the people, but understand this is an important part of leadership because he does care, obviously, dramatically and cares deeply for these people. And when, if you're a leader or if you're working with, I mean, because we're all leaders at some level, you're in your family, wherever it is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? So if you're placed in a position to lead someone in your, wherever it is, it does not matter as much that you know, but it's just how much you care, which is the key. And that's the one thing Moses has gotten for him. He may not have the best strategy in this scenario, but you know what? His heart's in the right place. His desire is to be used of the Lord. Verse 16, when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another. I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses, again, functions as a representative of God. His desire is to bring peace and make God's word known to the people. He wants them to see truth instead of allowing them to handle it in their flesh. And we know how that will go. James 3, 14 through 18 says this, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, which is what they're dealing with, these people have got quarrels, right? It says, Glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work confusion, right? Have you ever been in a situation where people are in a quarrel or people are in an argument? It can be, become this most chaotic insanity in a moment's notice. Because what happens is people get caught up in that emotional part that we've talked about in the past. Verse 17 says this, says this, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, meaning it's fair and just, and without hypocrisy, meaning it's honest. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. This is the desire of Moses' heart. He wants to make peace. you got a lot of people together. There's always going to be some type of strife. So his heart is right. His strategy is wrong. Verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Moses, look, man, I understand your motives. I'm with you, brother. I know you care. But this is not the way to pull it off, okay? He explains himself in verse 18. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it, it, to, to, to form, perform it thyself alone. He says, look, this is a job that's too big for one man to pull off. You've got to come to that realization. He says, look, this is not a one-man job. This arduous process is not only going to wear you down, but it's going to wear down them. Jethro is, is making an excellent point, right? He's pointing out this is a matter of logistics and it's a matter of planning. It's got to be something, a better way of doing this. Now, like Moses, there are plenty of people that have a desire, maybe somebody like myself who has a desire to get the gospel out. You have a desire that you want to share truth with people. But maybe the method that we go about is not the most efficient way of doing so, right? Sometimes we may go, well, let's do it this way. The one thing that's wonderful, the reason why God built the church is because he brings people with different talents and abilities to be able to advise, right? 
Because like I said, when you're caught up in the moment and what your drive is, you're trying to accomplish something and you're doing something and someone else comes along and goes, hey, have you thought about doing it this way, right? If you have a mindset that you're willing to listen, guess what? You can adapt your strategy and actually become more efficient, right? God's desire is that this church become as efficient as we possibly can. And what's neat is he built it together for a purpose. There's a lot of verses here I'm going to read with you. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, talking about the building of the body. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. So he brought them together for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, right? He brought them together for the work of the ministry. They worked together for the edifying of the body of Christ. Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. For as we have many members in one body, talking about the church, the body of Christ, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait, uh, wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth and on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy and cheerfulness. God brought us together and all of our talents and abilities for the purpose that the work that we do for him would be the most done the very best way possible. We try to maximize our results. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18 says this, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where was the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Every person has equal value. Somebody says, well, what I do is not important. But it is. Every part of it works together, right? If you're all hands... There's a problem. If we're all feet, we're got a problem. If we're all eyes, we're a problem. If we're all ears, but all of these different parts work together to make the body function. And that's the thing. God brought us together with all of our talents, abilities, our quirks, our goods, our bads, our issues, our personalities, right? And we work together to accomplish his will. God placed us here. We didn't pick and choose. I didn't go out and recruit you folks. If you come and it's not the place to be, then go. If you come and it's the place to go, then stay. Because God will place you where you're supposed to be. And the good news is that if we give ourselves to the work of the Lord, he will put us in the right spot, that we will fill just the void that is there that God intends for us to fill. Verse 19, hearken now unto my voice. This is Jethro. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. So when it comes to the big spiritual things, that's what you're going to handle, Moses. I'm just telling you, that's, we're not taking that away from you. Verse 20, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Understanding that that's Moses' drive, right? He doesn't want to deter him in any way, shape, or form. He's not going, look, look, the whole goal is he's reassuring him, saying, look, the spiritual leader, as the spiritual leader, you will teach and train the people about the things of God. Moses is really, he's the first picture of a pastor, of that under-shepherd, we call him right? His main concern is the spiritual well-being of the people, and that's where the focus is going to maintain. Not on the logistics, not on the smaller matters, but on the big spiritual ones. Look at what the Lord says to Moses in preparation of his death, speaking of Joshua here in Numbers 27, 17. God speaking about Joshua. Which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd, right? God wants there to be spiritual leadership in our lives to help us. Spiritual leadership is extremely important, right? Ultimately, we follow the Lord. 
he lists himself as the good shepherd, right? John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, Amen. right? But we also need spiritual leadership on the earth, right? It's an important part of what's going on because there is evil that abounds in this world that is trying desperately to draw our hearts away from God. You are all under an attack at some level and at some point. I can guarantee it because the devil absolutely, first of all, he just has no mercy. And he's extremely diligent, right? He does not stop. And his desire is ever so slightly to separate us from the Lord. And it's those subtle things, those little things, those moments, right? We struggle with whatever it may be. Frustration, anger, depression, whatever it is. Those things are tactics that are being used to derail us and separate us from the Lord. And what we're doing is God's saying, look, I'm going to put leadership in your life to help you. Jeremiah 31, 15, talking right here, says, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Right? Just like you guys. Guess what? I have a pastor just like you do. Pastor Billy Wood is my pastor. Right? He is there. God placed him in my life for a specific purpose. He's my friend. He's my confidant. You know, he's my guide, and he's my spiritual advisor. He's my leader, and I follow what he shares with me. I trust him. And see, I reverence Billy not because that's Billy. I reverence him because of the position that God's placed him in my life and also for the godly example that he lives, right? God gives us these people for a purpose. He's trying to protect us, right? So what happens is we have this situation here where Moses is getting counsel, right, spiritual leadership. He's giving some information here. And what happens is he's willing to listen. And that's key. That's key. Because some of us are unfortunately not very good listeners. We kind of think we already have all the answers, right? And as parents, right, if you're a father or if you're a mom and you've got kids and you're raising them, guess what? They need spiritual leadership. They need someone that works as a guide for them someone that directs them, someone that protects them and gives them spiritual advice. Because sometimes what happens is people get a little off course. Your kids sometimes are being bad and they've kind of their behavior's gotten a little off, off track. And I can tell you in the church, right, there's be people that you see and, man, they're, they're on fire for the Lord. And then you start to see a little bit of a shift. And you start to see a little bit of inconsistency. And you start to see a little change in attitude. And you start to see this little thing in the way they walk or handle themselves or answer when you you talk to them. And you start feeling them divert. And you can go talk to that person. When you approach them, there'll be one of two reactions. Either, you know what? You're right. I'm struggling. I'm dealing with something. And I'm so thankful that you came to me. Or, I don't want to talk to you. It's none of your business. I live my life. You stay out. Right? Have I dealt with both? Absolutely. I like the first one better. (laughs) Without a doubt, I like the first one better. But you deal with both, right? (laughs) But the whole thing is we want to work together, right? Because ultimately this life's not about us. This life is about him, right? And if I can help you get back on track, guess what? Maybe when I'm off track, you'll come help me, right? That's the goal. That's the goal. Verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. Verse 22, and let them judge the people at all seasons, but it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, and every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. You're going to work together as a team. 
this advice, I cannot tell you that this is coming from God. This is Jethro's mindset as a logical outsider looking in, okay? In fact, he actually qualifies here in verse number 23. If thou shalt do this thing and God command thee so, he says, look, if you followed my advice and it is of God, you feel led of the Lord to do it, then thou shalt be able to endure and all the people shall also go to their place in peace. Verse 24, so Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Verse 25, and Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And what's interesting is in Deuteronomy 1, it gives us a little bit more of a specific breakdown about the more of how this was actually implemented. In Deuteronomy 1, verses 12 through 17, it says this, How can I myself alone bear your cumbrances, this is Moses speaking, and your burden and your strife? Take you wise men and understanding and known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And he answered me and said, The thing which thou hast spoken is good for us to do. So it's interesting here, we see that the people were buying in on this concept. It wasn't just going, look, these people are going to be over you. He said, Look, I'm introduced this concept of sharing the load, and the people accept it. Verse 15, so I took the chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, and captains over hundreds, and captains over fifties, and captains over tens, and officers among your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not, check this out, ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. He says, look, you're not to be intimidated by anybody. This is not a respecter of persons. You're to look for truth, and truth alone, it doesn't matter who it is, you're to be straight. For the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. And they judge the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judge themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. So he went back to Midian, okay? So when we look at this, this same concept of dispersing the duties, right? We see it employed also in the beginning of the church, in the early forming of the church. There were physical needs in the church that were going on, right? There were these people called the Hellenists, and the Hellenists kind of felt like they were being left out. Their widows were not being attributed or taken care of when the, when the, when the uh, disciples were together and as the church was forming. So there was a sense of feeling like they were neglected, right? So there was physical needs that not, were not being met, and they at the same time spiritual needs that might have been suffering. So the, the, the disciples, this is what they say in Acts 6, 20, Acts, uh, 6 verses 2 through 4. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. He says, look, there's a physical need here of feeding the people, taking care of them. And what's happening is the, the disciples are doing both at this point, right? They're trying to fulfill every need. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, okay? But we will give ourselves continually to pray, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This concept of allowing those who are called by God to minister through the word to focus on that duty while other ministerial responsibilities are shifted to chosen individuals is the model we follow in establishing deacons in the church. Okay? So when it comes to a church like ours, that is a new church, that's a growing church, that's a small church, right? When there are just a few people, it's not a problem. It's, it's, it's not a problem in order to meet those, those physical as well as the spiritual needs of the church. But you'll see, like, when we do the... When we do, meals and all that kind of stuff like that. If it was just Christine and I doing that and taking care of everything, it would be a lot of work. But what's wonderful is everybody gathers together, right? The la I mean, I'm telling you, it's been wonderful. Ladies stepping up and just 
killing it. It was awesome. I, when my wife was out of town, the ladies came on Wednesday night. Man, they had everything. I walked in, everything was set up, and I was talking to people. They broke it all down and put it all the way. I was like, this is amazing. I was like, this is, is, is this the way it's supposed to work? I love it. <laughs> but I mean, I ain't got no problem taking out trash, and I'll do whatever. But I'm just saying, it was pretty neat. I, I love, I'm not going to stop you. Let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> So uh, anyway, so when we see this aspect, now, and understand, our joy, the joy of our hearts is to be there for you. If we can be there physically for you and spiritually for you, man, that is the joy of our hearts. But there will come a time as we grow and as more people get involved and the church develops that there's going to time and we're not going to be able to be able to do that um, anymore. It's going to get beyond the point of being a one person's job, okay? So the whole goal is that God will develop and build, right? Um, the, the concept of deacons that we look at there. Okay? It talks about taking them out of the numbers of the people. And that's what we'll do. When, the, when we reach a point in time where we need deacons, we'll choose out of this body of believers and we'll draw men out that will be deacons of this church and they will fill those roles. Right now we have spiritual leadership in our church and a council that we have. Brother Eric is our, our secretary of our organization. Uh, Chris is our moderator and uh, Michael Colson is our treasurer. And they work as an advisory board. So when it's decisions and stuff like that, I'll bring it to them and talk to them about it to get that, out, that outside counsel. You cannot have the mindset that you have all the answers. And I believe if you have a brain like mine, you know you do not have all the answers. It's really good to have smart people around. I'm so glad I'm married to that woman. Um, <laughs> what we saw with Moses is humility before God that allowed him to listen to the advice of Jethro, right? Good leaders not only listen to wise counsel, but they seek it out, okay? The Lord is in the process of refining every one of us, and we must remain humble and teachable if we are to grow into who he expects us to become. Right? It will be our willingness to not only receive godly counsel, but then apply it that will determine our success for God. Right? It's those that receive godly counsel and don't apply it. Right? That's, you want to see God get frustrated at somebody? Go ahead, turn, turn, go to, you know, sometime just read Matthew 23. Just read that section there where God is talking to the Pharisaical leaders. And the Lord, boy, I'm telling you what, he does not hold back. He is lamb-blasting them, dude. I mean, he is laying into them. Because the fact is, they are so blinded by what they already believe that they cannot hear the truth directly from God himself, right? right? And there will be people that you will counsel with, and you're going to give them godly, straightforward advice, and they will not hear it. Because they already decided that they had the answer, right? And the thing is, people that think they already have the answers... They are absolutely deaf. They cannot hear from heaven. The word of God doesn't even break through. It takes the conviction of the Holy Spirit to break through to them. And what happens many times is they've got to get to a point where God humbles them and breaks them. And when they're broken and they're just totally given, they're like, you know what? I've got to turn somewhere. And then maybe then God will allow you to be that counsel that for the first time they'll start to hear. Let's not be those folks, man. Let's not be the people that are so sure that we have all the answers. Let's be willing to hear. Let's be willing to listen, right? That humility is so important. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearketh unto counsel is wise, right? The name of people that already have all the answers is fools. Fools. Fools think they have all the answers, and they are blinded by their pride. Because of their arrogance, they can't hear from heaven and will do nothing for the kingdom of God. It's just a reality. And the Bible calls them again and again fools, fools, fools. And we can all be fools. God wants us to be wise. God wants us to, to listen and learn. But you know what? If you're not hearing from this word, you're not allowing this to change your behavior, if you read it and you stay the same, you're a fool. You're a fool. Because God's given us all these instructions. 
How do I handle that situation? I can deal with it in my flesh, see how it goes, or I could search for the answer in the Word. And when I find the answer, not only hear it, but apply it and watch it work. I'm telling you, man, this is the solution to the problems that we suffer in this world. But so many of us don't turn to it. We don't. We get caught up in our short-term thinking, and we lose sight of what God's trying to teach us. And, you know, as we told you many times, adversity is a part of life, and adversity is one of the tools God uses to help us to realize that we need him. It keeps us humble, right? When everything's going great, by humanity, what do we do? We become prideful. As soon as you become prideful, you let down your guard because you start thinking you got all the answers, and now you don't need God. And then when you don't need God, he says, you know what? There's something coming. I was going to stop it before, but I'm going to let it come on through this time. And it's going to hit you right between the eyes, and it'll wake you up and make you realize maybe you don't have all the answers, right? In order to be used of God, we must be teachable. So let's be careful, right? Careful. Let's remain humble. Let's remain teachable, right? Let's remain willing to listen. And if God blesses us with godly spiritual leaders in our life, by all means, listen. Listen to them. They're not there to hurt you, to control you. To, to, now, again, a caveat. Godly leader does not mean somebody that represents God by their title. It's someone who represents God through their life, Amen. right? There are a lot of people out there that claim to be godly people that do not live up to that name, Amen. right? Just because they have the title pastor in front of their name or deacon or whatever else it is, you register, test the spirits, right? Check their life. If they're giving you good biblical examples and they're teaching you from the Word of God, man, take it and run. But if they're telling your own life experiences and they're telling you what you should do and you know what I'd do and da-da-da-da-da, man, you know what? I can get their opinions anywhere. Dime store. Everybody's got an opinion, man. They're dirt cheap. But this is where they've got to have their basis on. Our whole goal is to receive godly counsel. So if you've got those people in your lives, praise God. Because the thing is, if they're there and they're willing to be involved and they are compassionate and they do care, and we find ourselves broken, and they're willing to speak into our lives truth, whether it hurts us sometimes. Because sometimes hearing truth is hard. There's times in our lives when we're off track, and someone steps in and says something to us, and it's like a dagger. And in the moment, we might resent them or be angry at them. But if they're speaking truth, and we'll let it speak to us, one day we will thank them. There's been people in my life in my life that have stepped in and said things to me that in the moment I did not want to hear. But in retrospect, they were saving my life, saving my family, Amen. saving my kids. So let's be willing to listen to wise counsel. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for helping us, guiding us, and directing us through your word. Thank you for the example that Jethro set. Thank you for Moses' amazing example, Lord, his humility and willingness to hear. And I just pray, God, that you help us to remain a humble people. Help us to be teachable. Help us, Lord, not to have a heart uh, of hardness and arrogance, Lord. Help us, God, to realize the fact that uh, you put people in our life for a purpose, God. Pray that you'll put a good godly leadership in our lives. Allow us, Father, to seek wisdom, uh, to seek wisdom, and, Lord, to seek uh, the counsel from those, God, that will direct us from the Word of God. Thank you for the Word. Thank you for the Spirit that dwells within us. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities you've given us to interact with other people, Lord, if as, a, as a counselor or as one who's being counseled. God, I want to tell you today that I love you, and I'm thankful for the godly counsel in my life. 
Thank you for intervening in my life time and time again. Help us all to remain humble before you. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? Hey, I appreciate the message. I mean, I appreciate the idea of godly counsel. And, you know, it all sounds wonderful, but you know what? I don't even necessarily believe in God myself. Maybe I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe I believe God exists. Because I'm telling you, 18 years ago, I believe God existed. I looked at the world around me. I said, well, there's got to be something. But I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was far from that. I didn't understand who he was and how much he loved me. Jesus went to the cross because the sins of this world, which is born within us, that sin nature, separates us from God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wage of sin, what you earn because of sin, what I earn because of sin, is death, a separation from God. And in the midst of my rebellion, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my choices, God loved me through it all. And Jesus went to the cross to pay the sins of the world, to be the good shepherd, to be that one that would lead me, guide me, direct me, and die for me. And I'm telling you, he died for all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're here, if you're online, if you're in overflow, wherever you are, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, he loves you right where you are. He died for your sins, all of them. He's ready to redeem, like the song said. I have been redeemed. He wants to redeem you into a relationship with him that is pure and sweet and loving and the most fulfilling one you can possibly imagine. It's not a matter of a, of a ceremony. There's nothing magic about it. It's a matter of the will. If I'm willing to receive Christ as my Savior, that means I understand that I'm the problem. He's the solution. And by faith, call out to him. He's waiting on us to respond. 18 years ago at about 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday, I received Christ, and it changed my life forever. And you have that opportunity today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray right there in your seat. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm going to lead you in prayer. And this is not a matter of the prayer. It's not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made in salvation. The prayer is out of your heart. And if your heart is true, and you truly intend to receive Christ as your Savior, it will be done as soon as you say amen. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray out loud. You pray in your heart and mind. Again, it's not the words. It's the intention of your heart. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for the sins in my life that have separated me from you. I'm sorry for failing you. I know that you love me. I can feel it. And today, I choose to turn from my sin. I choose to receive the greatest gift ever offered to this world, your death on the cross, salvation through your life, your death, and your resurrection. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. I trust you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.